we are going to, uh, we're, we're picking it up now in chapter 14. Can you believe it? We've actually made it through all of chapter 13 now of 1 Corinthians. Um, I can't say unscathed because I certainly have had to do an awful lot of thinking myself. But I want to do a little quiz to start this. And this is one where even if you have no concept of scripture prior to this point, you should be okay. And the reason is it's actually not a scripture quiz. We will get to that in a moment. But here's the quiz. Are you ready for this? That was actually a question. So that should elicit an answer, right? It shouldn't be that difficult. Okay, here's the situation. I'm going to play different languages. And you're, you have to just guess what language, what continent it's from. That's the kind of idea. I want to assure you in all of these, they are actually genuine languages. Does that make sense? Now, some of them, most of them will be spoken. A couple might be sung. But you kind of get the idea in all of this. That's kind of what we're shooting for here. Does that make sense? Okay, that was, thank you for the two of you who were that so kind as to make that clear to me. Okay, so um, I'm going to make sure I have my other one on here. And then let's go for it. Okay, so beautiful. Here we go. Ready? And let's see how, let's see how uh, loud this is going to get because I don't know how clear these are going to be. Okay, here is the first one. You ready? Okay. Well, Bruno, what do you think? Singapore, who else has a guess? China, we hear. China, Singapore. Is Lucas here? Lucas, what do you think? Natives of Brazil, you think? The language is Piraha, and it is from Brazil. Big round of applause for Lucas. That was, that was a big round of applause. We're in trouble. Okay, next language. Okay, anyone have a guess? Yes. Oh my goodness, Cozy's right. Nice. South Africa. From a girl who's South African, so there's a little bit of a, you know. Okay, here's the next one. Okay, look at you guys are doing really well. That was... Very whelming. Here we go. Here's our third one. Anyone have a guess? We have China. What else do we have? Thailand, what else do we have? That was, okay. It's Cherokee Indian. 
happened to be an ace, Cherokeean, by the way, but I don't speak that language very well. So just thought I'd let you know, that's a Native American uh, Indian from America, of course. That's why they're a native there. Okay, here comes the next one. Yeah, that was really rough, right? Okay, here we go. East Africa, what else do we have? What's that? Bangladeshi, what else? Maui, the answer is Harar, which is East Africa. It is actually Western Ethiopia on the east side. So well done. Applause, someone? Okay. Next language. Jesus Christus, Gott Sinen Seh, nicht anerkannt, haftuk nicht in Foda. Wer ober Christus, Gott Sinen Seh, haft, haftuk den Foda. Wann det nu wirklich so erst aus Johannes? Anyone? What do you think back there? Is that German? It is, it's what they call low German. I'm not exactly, maybe that means from like the hood of Germany, but it is. It is German. Well done. Next one. Japanese is right. Okay, where's the applause? There's got to be something. Come on here. You're not applauding. You're not applauding me. I'm just pressing buttons. Finally figured it out. Here we go. Next one. Any guess? No, it's not Greek and it's not Russian, but it's close. It's Gaelic. You know, some of y'all are from, you know, this is like this is like some of your roots here I'm kind of pulling out. I just want you to know. Okay? Okay, here we go. Just a few more. You think Nepalese, and you have a roommate that's Nepalese, does he sound like that when he sleeps? Do you keep the room really cold? It's Eskimo. And that's why they talk with their mouth not very, you know, like they talk like this a lot because they can't move their mouth a lot. It's frozen. That's the idea here. Okay, couple, couple more. Here we go. Any idea? Icelandic. Yeah, see if none of you... I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. That's just a language where it just seems like everybody throws up the letters and they, a lot of them land and they call it, we're going to call a mountain that. or something. Hopefully I didn't cuss or something in that language. Okay. Okay, here we go. How about this one? Any idea? Interesting. It is South Korean. Could you imagine? So some of you are like a gifted linguist, aren't we? Okay. <clears throat> There's a point to all of this because what we're going to be talking about is tongues today. 
as they're exercised within the church. So imagine, if you will, we've got two more. This is, by the way, my favorite of the spoken ones. Are you ready for this? This is a, this is a language. I'm serious about it. These are human beings. This is not a bird. If it's just weird, it's from Brazil. Is that your? Is that what you go for? Okay. Who wants to guess? Where's it from? Australia. That's what happens when you get bit by one of those poisonous everything's. Uh, you just start whistling for help. Okay. Anyone else? It is from the coast of Spain. It is called Silbo Gomero. And Silbo Gomero, by the way, and actually, you can go to a website and they can teach you how to whistle, give me a bottle of wine. Like, anyways, maybe that's why they're all whistling. Okay, here's one of these languages maybe you might be a little familiar with. This one is sung, so this might help you a little bit. Should be any minute, though. There are singing coming. It's obviously Popeye. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's really not Popeye. The guess is, Tibet is right. Give a round of applause. That was good. Tibet is actually, it's an interesting language because when they start doing these crazy singing things, they actually can create three or four tones at the same time, one through their nose, one from the side of their mouth, and they do this thing called vocal fry. The problem is the, the average life of a singer isn't very long, and that's why they all start sounding like Popeye after a while because it really is damaging to your voice. Everyone's singing. It really does sound like everyone's possessed, but that's another story. And I shouldn't say that. I don't want to pick on someone's culture because that's really not the point. I mean, obviously, they're very, very different for us. But imagine if you were that we were in, a, we were in something like this, and you came in really heavy. I mean, you came in, and this was a rough day for you. I mean... You know, they looked you in the eyes and said, I just want to be friends. It's not you, it's me. And you're coming into the church for help. You're coming in for a little bit of, just a little bit of a hope, a little bit of encouragement. It's been the day where you're not really sure whether you're going to walk out of here and tomorrow you're going to go to work. Right? It's one of those days where you woke up this morning and you have brand new air conditioning. It's called a bashed-in window on your car. And oh, by the way, you have a lot more time to think about it because your radio's gone. And you're sat now, so, but you got here anyways by God's grace. So it was a rough day for you is the idea of it. And you came into church and like, Lord, I just want to hear something from you. And as you came into church, one person started going, or another person going, right? And then another person going, and this is what was happening around you. Which one of you would go, oh, I feel so comforted. What a great experience. And then we all come in, but we come in with this competitive mindset that we are going to prove that our cool language is cooler than everybody else's cool language. 
So all of a sudden, you're like way over the top with Popeye on this side, somewhere between Popeye the pirate, you know. And over here, you've got someone that just sounds like a bird that's like gigantic by this point. And, and all of a sudden, it's like in all of that, it's like we're, we're listening for something that will gravitate to our soul. And to be honest, it's pretty much at that point like a car accident. It's so many sounds at once, we can't pick any off. Do you get that? Well, understand that the church in Corinth that we're about to deal with here now as we move into chapter 14 was a church that had really blossomed in the wrong direction. See, when we gave our life to Christ, the intent was that we would call ourselves Christian. And if you think about what the word means, it means Christ-like. That we want to become more like Jesus. That's the point here. And we want to become less like who we were. Well, the problem is is that when you come into a church, and if we don't set that as the decorum, and we don't have a clear goal, you know, you've probably heard it said, if you really don't have a, if you don't have a clear direction on where you're going, you'll probably get nowhere really quick. That we can spin around in circles and put forth so much energy and activity and effort and really not go anywhere. Because we don't even know where we're going or what we want accomplished. We don't know what God's will is in all of this. So what's happening is we assume that what it would really mean to be more Christian than we are at this moment, to grow in our Christianity, would be to be louder as Popeye or louder as that gigantic bird or louder in this thing or being more exercising of your gifts. And you know what happens? The church becomes, in essence, really kind of like a a sporting event where everybody's busy trying to outdo everybody else. Please hear me in this. And I want to lay this out in the simplest sense. Paul had gone. He is now. And please, like I'd say, we're about to pray. Listen, don't just ever believe what I say is true. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Not me, not anything else, but the scripture itself. This guy who writes this by the power of God is writing this from Ephesus where he will be for three years. The only place he's been even nearly that long is the place he's writing to, which is Corinth, where he'd been for two. And while he had been there, he had laid out quite a foundation. That's quite a long time to be with Pastor Paul. But now, it's been five years later, and Paul gets a letter. And in that letter, he gets it from these three guys, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, who show up there. And as they show up there with this letter in hand, they have three serious concerns about the church and ten issues that they would like, some questions they would like answered. Paul's evaluation over the whole thing is that the church was carnal. Now, he doesn't doubt their Christianity. He doesn't even doubt their sincerity. But he really does question their motivation. That's the point on this. So hear me in the simplest sense. Before we come to Christ, the Bible tells us we are self-centered, self-serving, and self-promoting. That's what we are. Self-centered, which means it's all about me. Self-serving, how do I bless me? Self-promoting, how do I make me look good? That's the part Jesus kills at the cross to make you a whole new person. A person that no longer has it. And let me tell you why. I don't have to be self-centered because Jesus is me-centered. 
He's, he can't stop thinking about me. I look at Psalm 139 and it says that his thoughts, like David, outnumber like the sand on the shore. There's no room for anyone else to be thinking about me because God is thinking about me enough. And it's senseless for me to be me-centered when Jesus already is focusing all of his heart, his love, and his attention on me. It's crazy to be self-serving when Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is incessantly serving me. He's cleansing me of my sins, transforming me from the person I used to be, and challenging me to greater greatness in him, equipping me to be a blessing to others. So why would I want to be self-serving when the Lord himself serves me? Do I really think that I can serve me better than he does? And thirdly, why would I want to be self-promoting? When in the end of it all, the person that I try to promote is the person Jesus killed. So why would I want people to go check out that old nasty guy that I used to be? How awesome am I now? The Lord has a better idea. And please understand, this church just looks like that. Think about this before we jump into this chapter, because this is going to be the practical conclusion to the last two chapters. Think about this. What would a self-centered church look like? It would look like a church where the focus is on you. How do I find more of me? How do I get blessed? How can I find the place where I can give nothing and get everything. If the, if the church was self-serving, the messages would be on how you can claim your blessings. Isn't that true? Oh, it's all about you, baby. And if we are honest in our songs, that's what we would sing. It's all about me. No one can be as cool as I am. You know, and we'd start to compete over this. If we were really a self-serving church, we would be a self, well, what do we call that? Sensitive church? We want to help promote the selves. But then we get this crazy movement to where we want community. We use the word like a buzzword, but what does it really mean? That we could all still selfishly come in and try to get what we want now in a group of people. And you know what happens? We come to church with a list of things we want, list of things we think we need that should be given to Jesus. That's what should be given. So what happens? <clears throat> it's sort of like, if you will, we're in the locker room. And I'm there with the playbook, the whiteboards behind me to draw the X's and O's. But everyone has come in for a back rub from the coach. And they don't intend to play the, the game. What they intend on doing is just getting a few strokes, talk about how great they are, and then be sent out to never play the game that they're actually in the locker room for. If it was self-promoting, then we could see how we could make you look great. Now that could be if you give a lot, we can give you a plaque and a chair, and you could, oh, even sit up here with the elders. Wouldn't that be great? We can make sure you're on every promotional video, and when we put out that pamphlet about how great and multicultural, we'll make sure you're on the cover. If we're going to be self-promoting, maybe we could do it by the way we show our austerity. Oh, I just want to give testimony. I was praying and fasting. I have not eaten for 42 weeks because I'm just praying and fasting. 
And we try to show it in our discipline. Or we can show it in our spiritual gifts. And we talk and we rub ourselves and we do whatever we can. And we want to do it in a way so that it's sort of like, and I like to ask, hey, for every gift that God gives, if it's to serve yourself, why would you do it here? This is the place where we serve each other. Now, please understand, this isn't to correct us because I feel like our church is in some form of critical state of selfishness. To be honest, the beautiful thing about Scripture, it has this beautiful way of bolstering and appraising the things we're doing right as well. I mean, a good coach is always going to say, hey, that was good, keep doing that. Hey, this you want to correct a little bit, but it's because you're good, now let's make it great. That's the idea here. Unfortunately, (laughs) this letter isn't written to a church that's doing well and needs to be great. This is a church that has turned into a three ring circus and in one ring is the prophet and in one ring is the prattler with his tongues and in another ring is the self-promoter but in every one of the cases there's this competition and we all come now and become spectators to see who actually wins and if we have uh, any form of insecurity we won't even compete we'll just watch the others compete oh there's sister so-and-so and you just know once the music happens she's, she comes in and crutches but she's going to do laps for 24 minutes and that's not what God intended. So do this with me. If you have your Bibles, go back to chapter 12. And we're going to read straight through from verse 27 all the way to where we are now. Because what I really want, beloved, is for us to get the heart and soul of this text. And can I just say, I love that. If you don't have a Bible, why don't you raise your hand so that Naomi doesn't have to keep carrying them. And she can actually give you one. First Corinthians, turn to chapter 12. We are in chapter 14, but let's get to... They're not, we're not terribly long from where we are. First Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And members individually. We'll start there for a moment. You need to recognize this is how we're supposed to see ourselves. See ourselves as part of a whole with a unique contribution. Let me say it again. Part of a whole with a unique contribution. So Lord, as we go through this now, speak profoundly to each of us. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits, open our lives to receive what you want to teach us, what you want to encourage us, what you want to comfort us today, how you want to challenge us, how you want to bolster and strengthen us, how you want to buttress us up. Lord, how that we can be what you call us to be. And Lord, with the proper motivation. Lord, I just pray that if there be any who have yet to know you, let tonight be the night of their salvation. Lord, let us have so much fun in your word now, I pray. Jesus, in your name, amen. You are the body. Corporately, we are a body. The body of Christ. But members individually. And he's already established in regards to the aspects of both sides of that, of You could think your part's the coolest part, but you have no right to browbeat another person's part. They're all functional and imperative. On the other side of it, 
Don't get to the point where you're so insecure you think you couldn't possibly contribute. We are all parts individually. God, listen, this is God we're talking about is creating this. Are you, we're aware of that, right? We're aware that God's the one who's creating this body, that the Lord is the one who's building this. Listen, if he's a bad creator, there will always be extra parts. But if he's a good creator, there are no extra parts, right? Question the guy who pulls that whole thing apart or the girl that pulls the whole thing apart and then says, oh, I put that bookshelf together and look, I've got 45 extra pieces of screws and this and that. There's a part of you that thinks, I don't know if I want to put my books on that. Extra parts should concern you unless it says on the, on the box somewhere, extra parts. God knows exactly what he's doing and there are no extra parts. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are not an extra part. You are not a wart on the body of Christ. You're not like one of those weird eyebrow hairs, you know, that need to be like trimmed or pulled or whatever they do with dental floss on your head or whatever it is. It's just not where God is with this. This is God here. And the reason why I believe the church isn't functioning the way it should is because the church gets this crazy idea somewhere that really, oh, there are some parts that function and the rest of it really just serves itself. Do you know there is a medical term for when a part of the body starts to serve itself? Do you know what that is? Cancer. When it starts to metastasize within itself, or it's, you realize it destroys itself to become its own island. Is that what we want to be? That's not what he reinvented you to be. Now God has appointed these to the church, verse 28. First apostles, second prophets, then teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Did you notice the word varieties there? Did you see that? There's some that teach that there's a special prayer language that everybody could tap into, and it's just this language, and everybody can speak it. But you need to know when he starts to speak about these spiritual gifts, he says there's a variety of them, just like you heard. Clicks and whistles and tap dances and ba-da-da-da, and there's some that are really, you get the idea. Are all apostles? That's a question. How would you answer that? Are all apostles? Are you sure? Okay, if all were apostles, then you better be one too, right? Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? Wouldn't it be awesome if we did? But let's be honest. If we're self-centered, if we're self-serving and self-promoting, why would we be the ha- what would make us so happy about having the gift of healing? I'll never get the flu again. Isn't that why? I'll never be sick. Imagine what it would be like if you could heal yourself. Wouldn't that be the place you go first? And we might even convince ourselves, oh, but if I do that, I could be more of service to the Lord because then I'll be well. Really? Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Hey, there is a cardinal doctrine among some parts of our body, and I don't mean about our church, but in regards to the church at large. They're still Christian. That, that would teach that you're not a Christian unless you speak in tongues. This tells us otherwise. It tells you that God gives different gifts the same way that he likes to use them for, for proper purposes. Earnestly desire the best gifts. And now I will show you a more excellent way not just a good way, an excellent, the more excellent way, more excellent way. What is it? 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, you want to talk about tongues, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I could be Mr. Smarty everything. And I have faith that I could remove mountains, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. So all the miracle hour, all of the speaking in tongues, all of the understanding the deep prophecies, writing your books on how brilliant you are as a theologian, if there isn't love, you're nothing. You're a clinging symbol at best. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. I can say nothing, I can be nothing, I can gain nothing if love isn't involved. But notice, I could certainly do a lot, say a lot, think a lot, ponder a lot, write a lot, have my own show, and do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and still have a lot of nothing. And this is a really simple mathematical equation. Without love, there is the zero there. And then you can multiply whatever you want by it. It's still going to be zero. Now, if that's new math for you, forgive me, but it's pretty simple. Someone comes and says, hey, I've got 15 times it by zero. You have. Thank you. That was pretty good. Yeah. I have a million multiplied by zero. You still have zero. And you go, well, then why do anything? Because the point is add love. And everything changes. Love suffers long. Isn't that great where he starts? He doesn't say love's nice. That's not how he starts. Love, hu- love hugs and doesn't just shake hands. It suffers. Can I say, let me remind you, this is the difference between God's love and the world's love. The world's love does not suffer. Not without keeping score. And it certainly won't suffer long. It will call it abuse. It will call it all kinds of things. And I'm not telling you get in a situation where you can be abused. What I'm saying is real love will endure. It will suffer. It's kind. And I love the fact that the Anne tells us those two things should be together. It suffers long and is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. In other words, it's not self-exalting. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil. In other words, it's not self-serving. Doesn't rejoice in iniquity, rejoices in the truth. Doesn't seek its own because it's not self-centered. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things because it is Christ-centered. It never fails. Love will never fail. And if you've watched things fail, It's not love. God forbid you've had Christian parents that have decided that they've gone their own ways and refused to commit themselves to each other. And they've said, I've had enough. And you go, that's my view of love. I understand why you could be a little tweaked from the gate. But can I just say, God hates divorce. Now, I'm not here to bag on your past. I'm here to challenge your present. From this point forward, make that commitment with me. He says, it covers one's cloak in violence. That's what it does. It just hurts people. Amazing how many children, and I mean this now by people that are probably, I don't want to insult some of you because you're that age, but whose life was sort of, you know, all my parents fought and it was pretty rough and I didn't like that, but it really changed when they got divorced. 
because at that point my whole security was shattered. It's so often, it's hard to even fathom how many lives are caught in the spray of those kind of moves. It just doesn't fail. Real love doesn't fail. That doesn't mean it's always easy because it started by saying it suffers long and is kind, but it never fails. Love will be challenged. Love will have the opportunity to parade itself, exalt itself, serve itself, promote itself. It just won't take it. And it won't fail. On the other hand, you need to know about those prophecies. There's going to be a day when that's going to be over. Tongues, there'll be a day when that's over. Knowledge, even knowledge will vanish away. The most brilliant theologian, and I'll be honest with you, if I had the opportunity to be the most brilliant theologian in the, op- in the world, write books that just made people's brains explode out of their heads, or on the other side of it, I had the opportunity to simply walk a simple faith and watch churches and orphanages and hospitals built in Jesus' name, it's not a choice to be made. It's already made. The, the, the latter would easily be my choice. And you need to know that because if you want a church where what you really want to get is a giant head and look like Megamind, there's probably places out there that will be better for you. And I'm not telling you we need to be dumb. But he says, unless you're willing to approach with a childlike faith, you never even enter the kingdom of heaven. You never even see it. Now again, we don't shut off our minds. We engage them for God's purposes. Listen, knowledge will vanish away. Right now we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. Now when will that be? Well, that will be clearly a day as we see here where I'll know as I am known. When knowledge will vanish, prophecies will vanish, and tongues will vanish. There are some that say that came with the Bible when it was concluded as a canon. The problem I have with that is I still don't know as I'm known. But it's interesting because First John tells me that there's a day I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And when I do, I will know as I am known, for I will see him for who he really is. That's the day. It's interesting that there will be a day I'll never be able to do this again. I'll never be able to have a Bible study, and I'll be honest. If Jesus is going to teach the Bible study, it's time for Junior here to sit down and shut up. I want to lead you to the living word. That's the point. Hey, can I just say, I'm a bus. I'm not the destination. I want my heart's to get you there. Over and over and over again. Can I just say, my heart's to get me there too. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I stopped acting like Peter Pan. And I do believe that there is a spiritual Peter Pan syndrome that can grow up with. I'm never going to grow up. And I'll be honest, maybe that's because we don't even know what it means to grow up in Christ. And if we don't see a benefit in growing up, why would we want to? In Barry's composition, you get the idea here that it seems like those pirates, those that had grown to be mature, the whole idea of it was they were somber and overridden with responsibilities and overwhelmed with kind of concerns and so forth. But it was carefree as a child. Who would want to grow up if those were their two options? If what I knew as a kid was everything's taken care of, it's provided for me, I'm safe and secure, and so why would I want to grow up if what that means now is I have to be furrowed, browed, hunched back, 
constantly sweating over my bills and concerned about the state affairs of the world. If that's what growing up is, then something's wrong with the Bible because that's not what Scripture says. Ironically, the more that I grow in Christ, the more I become like the first. Because I am safe in Christ. I am cared for in Christ. So it can't possibly be the issue of carefree. Because I'm more carefree now than I ever was as a kid. The difference is I know who's providing for me. But growing up is different because I want to take responsibility with people. See, as a kid, it's all about me. As I grow up, I want to make it more about him and make it more about you. That's the point. So look, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now in part, but then I shall know as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. But these three, the greatest of these is love. And then he says, and this is where we're at, now pursue love. If that is the case, if the greatest of all of these things isn't speaking in tongues, if the greatest thing isn't prophesying, if the greatest thing isn't the guy up here who's teaching, if the greatest thing isn't the guy who holds a guitar and sings, if the greatest thing isn't some guy called elder so-and-so or bishop this or archbishop or arch-archbishop pope this or whatever it is, whatever title you want to hang. I remember it started by saying in that chapter, without love you're nothing. Which, what difference? You know, you were, you were a badge that's sheriff nothing. Pope nothing. Bishop nothing. Deacon nothing. That's what God wants. And again... Love isn't, I just want to give you a big hug and be nice to you. Love's going to suffer. Love's going to care for the needy. Love's going to serve. And again, it's the opposite of a self-centered, self-serving, self-promoting person. It's just the opposite. That's it. The opposite of self-centered? Love. The opposite of self-serving? Love. The opposite of self-promoting? Love. There you go. So pursue love. Now, desire spiritual gifts, but now understand, here's the idea. The difference is the agenda, the motivation behind it. That's the idea. That's the, that's the beautiful part about this. And I'm collecting all of these different building things Christ is making us. And God gives me tools to build up. And we'll see here as he talks about edifying. And so he hands me screwdrivers and nail guns and saws and hammers. All the things that will be beneficial. And then I take a look at all of you and somehow because I'm self-centered, self-serving, and self-promoting, I look and go, you know, you guys are, you guys are great pieces of wood. I really think I could really stick you guys together to make you a platform to put me on. And God goes, Really? That's why I gave you those things, was to build yourself up? See, the problem wasn't the gifts. The problem was the motivation behind it. That was the problem. That same tool becomes a weapon in the wrong hands. So look at pursue love. And if you're willing to make it so that what I really want is to make this Christ-centered, you-serving, and Jesus-exalting, then pursue spiritual gifts. Because now I won't do them to be me exalting. 
I won't do them to be me-serving. I won't them do them to be me-centered. I'll do them because my focus is on Christ. And all of a sudden I get something, I'm like, now how do I bless someone with that? Imagine if the Lord started saying, you know what, I'm going to start just dropping major money in your account. But here's the problem. You can't spend any of it on yourself. That's the motivation. Would you get excited about that? Or would you go, ah, oh, come on. Or would you go, is there somebody else you've told that to? So I could buddy up with them and work out a deal. I'll give you stuff. You give me stuff. Work out, you know? And that's kind of how we work sometimes. But the Lord's like, I want to give you this. I want to bless you so much more than you can imagine. The problem is in blessing you, I want you to bless others. That's the point. So listen, pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And let me tell you why. And those words, by the way, the word pursue there, for what's what dioko. And the word, by the way, means to chase or to press forward, to go after. And I get the idea here. Why does he tell us to pursue love? Because it has a terrible habit from fleeing from our selfish hearts. You need to chase it. Because did you ever notice this? That you could have a moment where you feel like you're really in the zone and you're really putting someone else first and it could go like that and all of a sudden it becomes selfish. Because like, I want you chasing. I want you in hot pursuit of love. And I want you to desire. And this is the idea of having a feeling of warmth. That whole idea, by the way, of feeling warm towards each other, that's this word here now. The word zelacho, like zealous. To boil, to bubble inside. Like, you know, right before you pull in the pasta, the water gets that state. That's, he goes, that's the way I want you when you go like, I want those tools now for other people. Now listen, he who speaks in a tongue inform him, oh, means because, he who speaks in a tongue, he doesn't speak to men, he speaks to God. Stop, listen to that. A man who speaks in a language he doesn't understand and it's a spiritual manifestation is not speaking to people, he is speaking to God. Isn't that what it says in verse 2? Have you ever been in something where some guy goes, and he starts going like that. And I'm not saying they're not doing it right or whatever, but somebody else goes, I have an interpretation. And he says, my beloved children, how long I have waited to gather you in my wings like a hen gathers her chicks. Here's the problem. Verse 2 says that a man is speaking to God. Could you imagine saying to God, my beloved children, how long I want... It doesn't make sense. Now, that person could be prophesying. But they're not interpreting what that guy said if he's genuinely speaking in a tongue. Does that make sense? And all I'm trying to do here, to be honest, is just to lay out sanity and remove the circus and make it the hospital it's supposed to be. Could you imagine? You thought it was a hospital? So it's like all of a sudden, poor Mariana went to go eat, but she was on a train, and it was one of those horrible trains where all of a sudden everything just, it's like, you know, half of the track seems to be missing and replaced with spoons. But she's eating for the moment, and as it hits one of those bumps, she just takes that fork and rams it into her eye. So it's a pretty rough moment. And she looks to the right, and the fork looks that way. She looks to the left, and it goes this way. Her friend's really hot, so she looks up and down and starts to fan her, but she realizes she needs to go to the hospital. And so she's like, you know, and Naomi goes, oh my goodness, you look scary. So let's get you to the hospital. So there is Anna, and there is Naomi, and they're getting her in because really, Mariana's really not seeing very well at the moment. So they kind of usher in. They're like, there's this hospital really nearby. This will be awesome. And they start taking her in. She almost gets stepped on by an elephant. And somebody else is there with a whip chasing a lion. 
And there's somebody on a trapeze that almost kicks her in the head. She goes, whoa, 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 whoa. This is where I'm going to get the fork out of my eye? This doesn't look like a hospital. This looks like a circus. And that could be the problem. And listen, I'm not just talking about church, the collection. I'm talking about the church that Jesus intended every one of us to be individually. What if our life is that circus? And somebody comes to us for that hospital. And we're to be the paramedic, but we're too busy actually performing instead of performing CPR. So listen, the man who speaks in a tongue, he doesn't speak to men, but he speaks to God. Now, nobody understands him. However, in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. And I'll be honest with you. I do, I'm, a, I'm a person who does speak in tongues. I've been tempted to walk around London speaking in a tongue and just start asking anyone if they recognize what it is, just out of curiosity to see what language it is. I am confident it's not that one from the coast of Spain, because it isn't whistling. And I'm confident it's not the one from South Africa, because I'm not clicking in it. But I am curious. But I, I'll be honest with you. Like, you speak in a tongue, and there's a part of you that goes, well, that was cool. That was kind of a cool experience. The question is, if this is something that blesses me, is this the place to do it? So imagine, this is all of a sudden what happens. is Andre comes in. But Andre comes in with an entourage this coming Sunday. And when he does, he kicks his feet up on the pew, and there's a gal in the, that's right in front of him, and she starts, like, filing his toenails because she's going to give him a pedicure. And as she's giving him a pedicure and she's whistling because she's from the coast of Spain. And, and while that's happening, somebody else is like over there la, 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 and giving him a haircut. And another person's giving him a shave because what he's doing is he's, he's taking care of himself. This just isn't the place for it. It isn't like those things are bad. It's just that those things are bad here. Does that make sense? And while all of that's happening, all of a sudden Jenny comes in. She goes, boy, am I hungry. And she like pulls out like this insta-walk. With this little thing, it's like a hot pot, and she just starts grilling stuff up, and the whole room starts smelling like, you know, you know, sweet and sour pork. And so what happens is then, you know, and all of a sudden it starts splattering on Andre's hair, you know, and they're like, excuse me, could you do that? And it's like, could you imagine if every one of us came in with that kind of agenda here? Wouldn't that look crazy? But it could be like that just on the inside. If God looks on the inside instead of the outside, I wonder how much of that is what he sees. Listen, let me tell you about he who prophesies. Look at verse 3. You know what? If he's really prophesying like he should, he should do one of these three things. Or all of them. Because there are ands here and not just ors. He speaks edification. Now listen, the word for edification is the word oikadoma. Now listen, oikos means house. Dome, like dome means like the roof of a house. Now understand, to this day in the Middle East, Putting a house, the taller a house is, the greater value or honor it gets. So the idea of putting a roof on the house or a proper flooring on a house means you can actually build another level on it. In other words, you are actually investing in a person in such a way that they become even a better house. They become even a more noble or honored house. And that's the idea of edifying. A person that's prophesying, people should walk out built up. That's why we use the term. Now look at building up still may mean that the you know the the one word that's been used by prophets more than any in scripture is the other than like the and, and is the word repent. The second is exhortation. Paraklesis, like para, beside, klesis, to be called. Understand here, part of it is going to be challenging. And the way I'd like to think of it is a player coach. 
hey, there are some coaches, if you've ever played a sport, there are some coaches, they probably never really played the sport, but they're pretty keen on the way the game is played. And they're at the sidelines, and they'll show you by X's and O's how something should be done. But my, the coaches I've admired the most in all of my athletic career have always been the guys that would get out on the field, even if they're older, but would get out on the field, get out on the court or whatever, and do it with you. If they could properly show you, it's a lot easier to see the guy do it right. Does that make sense? At one of the Christian schools that I taught at, we had this guy that he was the basketball coach, and, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but he was shorter than Hugo. Now, here would be a swag to me, like, you know, stop. Think, of, think about this way. Think of P the size of Hugo as a basketball coach. And that's pretty close. And there became, you know, it's like, and I, and I was the other coach. And that guy, you know, he had to swagger. And I'll be honest, in our ethnically non-diverse area, he was the one chocolate chip. Now, uh, forgive me, and I'm not trying to pick on that in any way, and I'm, I'm not telling you somebody was profiling because I really don't know. All I know is when it came time for the students to play the, the, the coaches, I was ready, man. Let's go have some fun. He's like, no way. I'm not getting out on the court. I'm like, why aren't you getting out on the court, coach? And it turned out because the, the man could not play basketball. And he knew the moment he got out there, nobody was going to listen to him from that point on. Now, he could talk the talk, but he couldn't play the play. That was my favorite game to play. I had so much fun with those kids. I fouled them all. It was so good. Now, the point of it's this. When it talks about exhortation here, it's a player coach. That's the idea of Palakaleo, because you're called beside someone. God calls us all to be that, by the way. He calls us to not just go, hey, fix that, do that, make this better, but to become alongside each other and be player coaches. Hey, if you've known Christ for a year and somebody gives their life to Jesus today, you've walked with Jesus a year longer than they have. Please don't be one of those people that will be like, oh, well, actually, you don't have to run that hard anymore. You don't have to try that hard. You know, don't be that excited. It'll, it'll burn off. Can I just tell you it doesn't burn off? Can I tell you it gets better? It gets funner? Can I even use that word here? Is that fair? More fun? It becomes more amazing it, doesn't, it isn't like you wake up one day and you've run out of cool. Well, I discovered everything about Jesus. It's all kind of boring. Oh, I've seen it all before. God has this way of still... Do you know how he does that? It's like, it's like all of a sudden it's like, whoa, did not see that coming. I thought I saw it. You know, I've been in ministry now for over 20 years. That's not very long in the sight of the guys in Scripture, but just the same. And then something I'm just like, whoa, that's a new one. Sometimes it's a heartbreak, and sometimes it's this thing you just want to celebrate until you can't stand it anymore. But he loves to keep it fresh. Now listen, a real prophet should be speaking, like Adomas, putting that roof on your house to build it up. He should be coming alongside to, to, to challenge you, to encourage you, but also to comfort. And the word, by the way, for what it's worth, literally means to relate near. It's somebody that actually can be a friend, it's the idea. They can sympathize. Now, uh, for what it's worth, Paramathia. Now, he who speaks in a tongue on the other hand, notice how he's comparing the two. He who speaks in a tongue, he edifies himself. Oh, he blesses himself. He is serving himself. But he who prophesies, he serves the church. He edifies the church. 
That's that same edify word, by the way, that we saw in verse 3 when it talks about that a prophet would do that. I said, I wish you all spoke in, more with tongues. Notice it's with instead of just in. But even more that you prophesied. In other words, if Paul could have his way, led in by the Spirit of God, every one of you would do this. You ready? Every one of you would edify each other. Every one of you would come alongside his player coaches to exhort one another. And every one of you would comfort one another. Wouldn't that be cool? Now, you know what that would look like? An awesome church, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that look like that? I mean, you think, how exactly how much comfort can one person issue by being alongside an individual and crying with them when they cry and laughing with them when they laugh? Do you want to get in a queue? Or do you want to enjoy each other the way God intended? And that's why the whole body works. Do you get it? And you're like, well, I, mean, I don't know if I can like teach these amazing messages or I don't even know if I could play an amazing song or I don't know if I could recite something or I don't know if I could do the spoken word like some of those people that kind of, they just, they could just be reading, you know, a menu when it would sound awesome. But can you come alongside someone and just love on them and lead them to Jesus? Can you come alongside someone and build them up and lead them to Jesus? Can you come alongside someone and say, hey, let's do this together. Let's read together. Let's pray together. And listen, when you're reading the Bible together, that doesn't mean you have to teach them. Let the Bible do the work. So you're like, I'm afraid if I read with them, they're going to ask me, what does this mean? Hey, if you say you don't know, do you know how encouraging that is for the other person? Because what you're saying is, I haven't gotten it all either. People go, oh, well, actually, cool, but I get this. Do you know how healthy that is? Because remember that whole idea that you can have all that knowledge, but if it's not with love, what difference does it make? Like, I'll tell you how I want to love you. I want to put you first. I don't want to let you know. I don't, it's not like I read the Bible and I go, oh, well, boy, do I, I get it all. I'm just, I have it all memorized and just, there are times where I still walk and go, what in the world? And that's part of the excitement for me. Because sometimes I look like a crazy guy, which, let's be honest, I'm in the perfect place for that. And I walk around Camden, and I'm like, Lord, I just, how in the world does that play with this? And sometimes the Lord will go, stop, look at that. And I'll look at something, and I'll look at a family, or I'll look at some person or something, and I'll go, I, I get it now. <laughs> and then I'll, like, giggle. But, hey, we're in Camden, the Lord did. I'm like, now I can't wait to go bless someone with it. When I think about things like trips to Israel, when I think about things like conferences that we want to do, we actually want to do an all-church conference in the fall. Keep that in your prayer. I thought that would be kind of a fun thing. It isn't because what I really want is for people to go, hey, I want you to think you're awesome. I want to serve you guys. I want to be with you guys. I want to enjoy you guys. I want to watch God transform all of us. I want us all to look back a year from now and giggle and go, remember when we thought we had it together back then? Look at where we're at together. Not going where we're at now. Look how we've grown. Look at the grace we're able to issue. And my prayer is a year from now we'll look, and you know what we'll be? Less self-centered, self-serving, and self-promoting. Get it? Not like, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. And then notice how he plays this out. Now listen, in verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue, he edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. Remember the whole self-serving? Isn't that what he's saying here? You want to be self-serving? Speak in a tongue. You want to be others-serving? Well, then prophesy. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. Tongues aren't bad. They're just not best in this corporate setting. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in a tongue. And you know what that's about? Self-promoting. 
You want to be greater? Serve other people. Isn't that what Jesus said? The idea is simple. The one who wants to be greatest should be the servant of the most. Verse 2, remember he says, he who speaks in the tongue doesn't speak to men, he speaks to God, because it's about being Christ-centered. Verse 4, he who speaks in the tongue edifies himself versus a prophet who would speak, or prophecies which speak to the church. So are we self-serving or people-serving? Verse 5, it says, he who prophesies is greater, who are we promoting? Verse 6, now brother, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you unless I speak to you by... Revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or teaching. And this is our goal. And we're almost done. We won't go through the whole chapter. I've already promised. Our goal is to reveal. Isn't that what revelation means? Literally means to take the lid off. Apocalypsis. Apos means out of, off. Lipsis means like lid. The lid is off. Uncovered. To pull the cover off. To pull the lid off. That's the idea. Apo, loopsies. Now, am I trying to pull the cover off of me? Or am I trying to pull the lid off of the beauty of God? What am I trying to reveal? What do we walk out seeing more clearly? Knowledge. Am I trying to impart to you just information? What am I trying to inform you of? What do I want you to know even in relationship better? Do I want you to know me better in my relationship with you? Or Christ better in his relationship? Which one of those two will benefit you more? Prophesying, as we saw there, edifying, exhorting, and comforting. And then teaching. Are we being more equipped for the call he's placed on our lives? So here's the example from a worldly perspective. Even things without life, it's a flute or a harp. When they make a sound, each thing has a distinction. That's why we have musical notes. How will it be known when the pipe is played? If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? There are certain blows, certain blasts, certain calls that we know this one's for battle, this one's, there's a marriage. And it's important to know which one's which. Because you don't want to go to get ready for a fight when you show up at a wedding, most of the time. Who will prepare for the battle? So likewise you... Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand. Do you see the word easy in there? Hey, listen. When you start in the flesh and you want to teach, there's this natural tendency to be able to try to teach in such a way people could say, wow, I could never do that. Do you know the defeat in that? If you win that, you have now consigned a bunch of other people who should teach to not teach. After a while, what you want is for people to so fall in love with the same God. You go, you know what? I think I could do that. I might do it a little different, but I do. I could still do that. I love hearing about people like Mark Ruckman. Um, that's just one of my favorite. I just, I love this guy, Ryan Ruckman. Mark Ryan Ruckman. Such a sweetheart. One day he had just been on vacation and on holiday in the area where our church was. And he sat in a church service and, and he just sat there and he went, you know, that guy looks like he's having so much fun. I want to do that too. And he's now the senior pastor of Vision Calvary Chapel in Porterville. I just love it. And I get to talk to him today. He's just like, bro, I love it. I'm like, isn't it great? I want you to do that. Whatever it is that he's called you to, I want you to go, yeah, I want to do that. So listen. 
Likewise, unless you utter a tongue of words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? You'll be speaking in the air. Now, there are so many kinds of languages. Whistles and clicks. and But in the world, none of them, by the way, are without significance. In other words, every one of those languages is important. Therefore, if you do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. By the way, the word there is barbaros, like barbarian. And he who speaks to me will be a foreigner to me. Barbaros, same word. Now, there's a word for stranger, xenos. I know that word from being in, in Greece, because when they you go to stay at a hotel, it's called a xenotokio, which, by the way, means stranger box. That's, I like that. They put you in a stranger box. But that's not the word here. You're not just a stranger. So the Greeks, and I'm not talking about contemporary Greeks. You can talk to them about how yeah, things come from Greek. But I mean in regards to the Greeks back then, and there may be still some similarities. See, the idea was that if you could speak Greek, you were civilized. See, you may still think that. But if you don't speak Greek, you were bar, 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 you were barbarian. You were unrefined. You were a savage. Now, a stranger could be somebody that lives down the block, still speaks Greek. You just don't know them. Today, more, more often, a stranger is actually not Greek. And I, love a, I have a friend that's there, Christine Vivecki, who is one of the guys. And, and I just love talking. She's like, let me tell you the difference between Greece and America. In America, you could come in. It doesn't matter where you've come from. You learn the language after a while. You learn to work. You'd be kind of nice. And you become American. He goes, here, you will never be Greek. I got it. The idea of being not xenos, but being barbaros. He's like, you know what you'll look like? You'll look like an unrefined savage. That's what you look like. You'll look like a crazy bunch of natives from some place where you still run around in loincloths and kill everything with a spear. So listen. A person comes in here and they've never met Jesus. And they're scared to death. They're afraid the moment they walk in, the pastor's going to look and go, Oh, look who's coming now! Her name is this, she's this old, and let me tell you about all of her sordid affairs just in the last week. And some people genuinely think that way. You know why? Because the enemy tells them that to keep them out. Some of you know that, and you're not in because the enemy told you something of its sort before you came in. Some of you are Christians and had a hard time coming into church because you were afraid of what would happen. And you come in all kinds of fearful, and you're like, Is this a safe place. Isn't that what you're checking out? Is this a safe place? So what happens is you come in and you're kind of sheepish to see if someone turns around and goes, mm-hmm. right? And you come in and everyone's walking around going, hoga, 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 and doing like the haka and, you know, and chucking spears at each other. And you're doing all this stuff and somebody comes walking in and they go, I'm not really sure this is a safe place. I actually wanted to cry and I wanted to break down because my whole life's a mess. I was thinking about killing myself, but this is not the place to sort that out. You get it? Now understand, here's the point. God didn't say speaking in tongues was bad. He also didn't say that Andre getting a pedicure was bad, whether he gets them or not. This just isn't the place for that unless it could really make a difference. Although the pedicure thing I think is pretty much just off kind of pretty solid as a, as a general rule. Andre or you. <coughs> but hear me on this. 
God wants us to bless each other. Not just me. I do be honest, I'm just seeking to be obedient and look at where he put me. Maybe that's why you're afraid. If you just full on said yes, where he put you. Well, there's only one way to find out. So even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, now it's not like you don't want spiritual gifts. You just want them for the wrong reason. Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. If you really want to do this well, don't do it well to self-promote. Do it well to bless. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he can interpret. Now, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. I'm going, I shout out or whatever, and, you're, and people, I, I don't know what I'm saying, but it sounds cool. Well, then what's my conclusion? I'll pray in spirit, but also pray with understanding. I will sing in the spirit, I'll also sing with understanding. Hey, you know, even when we sing in other languages, don't we put the English underneath it for a reason? Because we don't want you just to sing something and go, I just know that the pastor's probably saying I'm going to tithe or I'm going to whatever. And, no, actually, we want you to know what it is you're singing. And he goes, look it, there's a place. Hey, you know what? You want to sing in a tongue? Do it in the shower. The Lord's there too, and it's not weird for him. He made you. You want to sing to the Lord in a language that other people could be blessed in? Be joyful, sing it around others. You want to speak in a language you don't understand? You could do that anywhere. You want to speak in a language that blesses other people? Speak it where other people are. Otherwise, and we're down, by the way, to the last few verses, if we bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? At your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. My brother taught me this, who's my pastor. He says, you know, I learned this line and veto thing where people will be praying and sometimes people pray the craziest things and he's just like, oh, amen to that, Lord. I'm not sure about that. Amen to that part. So now if you hear me do that, it's not why I'm doing that, but you get the idea. So it's like when somebody starts going, and you just go, oh, amen. And you're like, I don't know what in the world that guy just said. And don't think for a moment, just because somebody speaks in a language they don't get, that that's entirely just a God thing. According to history, it appears as if even the prophets of Baal spoke in languages they didn't understand. Sometimes I speak in English and I don't understand what I'm saying. What we're looking for is, and God says, you know what I'm looking for? is I'm not looking for something just supernatural. I'm not looking, saying, that guy must be a builder because he's holding a, a hammer. Some people hold hammers for wrong reasons, like they really don't want to hit someone in the head with it. That doesn't make them a builder. That makes them a deconstructor. He's like, you know what? The proof of a builder is something built. Shouldn't that make sense? That's a Hebrew mindset, by the way. You're not called a shoe salesman, even if you worked in a shoe store until you sell your first pair of shoes. Then you're a shoe salesman. You're not called a shoe maker until you make your first pair of shoes. Imagine wonder what it would be like to be a Christian. What would be the perspective? So listen, 17, 18, and 19, we close out. For you indeed do give thanks. Well, it isn't like you're giving thanks poorly. The problem is nobody else is getting blessed for it. So you're giving thanks well. It's just not the right place for it. So I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. The fact that he says that tells me that they must apparently not know that. You get I mean, if 
He could have said, let me remind you how I speak in tongues more than all of you, right? That would be if he had demonstrated that in front of them. But the fact that he has to tell them this tells me, by the way, that it seems like Paul didn't even do it. Maybe they didn't even know he spoke in tongues. And even did it more than them, but he just didn't do it around them. At least to the degree, obviously, where it was more than they did. Yet in a church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding so that I can teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now listeners would bring this to close. The Lord God today wants to do a whole lot more in our lives than simply turn us into circus performers. Aren't you thankful? For some of you, maybe that's a kind of an exciting idea to be a circus performer. You get to wear the mantard, you get to swing from something, or whatever the case is. Yeah, but from God's perspective, we're supposed to be becoming more like Him. And Jesus didn't do anything for the mere perspective of just showing off. That was the idea. Remember when the enemy took Jesus to the high part of the temple? And he says, throw yourself down, let the angels catch you. And then he tried to quote a little bit of scripture, but only half the verse, because the other half said, you'll crush the head of the serpent, the head of the cobra, which I would assume was intending for him. He kind of purposely left that part out. But the idea of throw yourself off is the idea of show off, man, come on. Let people see who you really are. And people don't really see all your potential. Oh, they just don't see. If they could just see you for like, man, really show off, really give that exercise, man, really show your strength, really show your might, man, if you did that, people would really respect you. They would really put you in a place of honor. They would really say, wow, we're really glad you're here. Do you know how tempting that is? There are three things that make up this world, three ingredients, and that's it. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And that's a third of that ingredient. Oh, come on, put you first. Let people see how awesome you are. You know, if people saw how awesome we really are, what they'd see is how awesome we aren't. Because I have a limit, so do you, but Jesus doesn't. My God showed his power by emptying himself of all that glory. Have you thought about that? He had all the glory in heaven. Think about this. God had everything in the universe but you and, and said, I'll leave it all. He had everything in the universe but you. And he left it all for you. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? And he died on a cross at his choice when he had any moment he could have taken his own power back, his own strength back. And isn't that what people said? Hey, if you're really God, the Son of God, why don't you just come off the cross, which he had the power to do. But he already reconciled that back at the beginning of the ministry when the enemy said to him, hey, if you're really God, so you're really God, why don't you turn that stone to bread? He had the power to do that. But he didn't do it because he said, I will only give what the Father gives. I only say what the Father tells me to do, and I'll only do what the Father tells me to do. In other words, the Father hasn't given it. I'm not taking this matter into my own hands. But this God gave up everything to have you, died on a cross at his own choice, stayed on the cross at his own choice, died a death we deserve, and was buried, and then rose again on the third day, just like he promised to offer us a brand new life. Have you said yes to that? If you have said yes to that, then the person we are seeking to follow has been the emblem and icon of absolute selflessness. 
There's never been a point in Jesus' life, here on earth or since or before, which is an eternity to draw from, where you could ever say he was self-centered, self-serving, or self-promoting. Imagine. You've always been the object of his life. So as we go to prayer, if you said yes to Jesus, will you ask with me that dangerous prayer, Lord, do what you need to do, but eradicate from me those three things. I don't want to be self-centered anymore. I don't want any part of me. I don't want to be self-serving. I don't want to be self-promoting. I don't want to be Christ-centered, others-serving, and Jesus-promoting. That's what I want. And if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you're not sure if you have, you can be sure. That death on the cross, he did all the work. The only thing left is whether you're willing to say yes to that gift or not. Well, that's the choice to make. Have you said yes? Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I do thank you. I thank you for the beauty of this gorgeous text. I thank you, Lord, on this, what's becoming quite a cool evening in this room, that you could speak to us. And Lord, it grieves me to think that when Paul says that this church is carnal, what they look like is just the rest of the world and we're supposed to look different and this is how. To not be self-centered, self-serving, self-promoting. So Lord, I just pray right now, first for the believers, myself included. Lord, if we are in any way self-centered, not just as a church, but as the materials within that church, each one of us, whatever is self-centered, Lord, remove it. Let us become replaced Replace that self-centeredness with a Jesus-centered. Even as we sang, Jesus, be our center. Be the very center of our universe. The world doesn't revolve around us. The universe doesn't revolve around us. Truth be told, the entire universe revolves around you. Let my universe revolve around you too. But Lord, it's not just in regards to you being the center of my thoughts and you being the center of my dreams and the center of my identity and the center of my intents and the center of my value system, but also that the service that comes from that would be to serve others because that is the center of your heart, is others. So Lord, please make me others serving. And to suffer long in it. In other words, not to say, oh, that's a little harder or that's a little longer or that's going to take a little bit more. What sacrifice that is. But rather, Lord, to take joy to know that if I really am doing something that's costing me, that's challenging me, that's, that's spending me, well, then clearly there must be some love exercised. So please, Lord, make me a real, honest lover. And Lord, not just to be others serving but to serve others to lift your name high. Not mine, not this church, not anything we belong to, anything else that we could somehow sort of latch onto or shingle onto our own identity, but rather, Lord, to lift up the name, because there's only one name given among men by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus. May the name of Jesus be quick on my lips. So, Lord, eradicate that which looks like the world and replace it with that which looks like you. Which which seems really clear is I can't look like both. And with that in mind now, Lord, I just pray 
that if there be any within the sound of this voice who have never said yes to you, that this will be the moment of their salvation. So if that's you tonight and your head's bowed, your eyes closed, and you're just going, all right, I don't know, my heart's beating fast, and I mean, I get all this, but I do get this idea that if Jesus wanted to pay my price, I should say yes. And if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I ask you to listen. And at the end, if you agree, I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. And here it is. God in heaven, I confess to you, I am a sinner. I confess to you that my sin separates me from you, but you so loved me that you sent your Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross on my behalf so all of my guilt could be punished. And in dying for me, my punishment, my, my verdict against me died with him. And just like you promised, three days later you rose again and you offer me a new life now. A new life no longer under the verdict of that condemnation, but rather now a new life to make other people, to make other people more important, to become a blessing where I once became a black hole. Make me someone that could be a blessing to others. Please, Lord, use me and make me more like you. So I surrender myself, confessing you as my Savior at the cross and my Lord at the empty tomb. So have me now and make me yours and make me like you. Jesus, in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.